Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode, episode six of the Tactical Yanks podcast. Filippo, how are we feeling today? I'm doing all right. I was watching Palmeiras play. It was a horrendous game, but besides that, everything's <laughs> doing good. Uh, they tied at the last minute, but it was just not good. One of one of those games that was just horrible to watch. But but yeah. overall, doing good, relaxing here. Um, everything's good life wise. And what about you? How's that knee? Uh, the knee is still, you know, in the same state that it was. I have a, a appointment on Wednesday to see the surgeon, um, the orthopedic surgeon. So I'm going to get more details from him. There's a fractured tibia that we have to talk about, not just the ACL. So right now I got myself a fancy little cane and uh, I'm wearing a knee brace and I'm trying to just, you know, not put too much weight on it as much as possible. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's like a whole new world that you have to adjust to. I just want to make one thing clear. Me and Pete are getting injured so that our players don't. We're trying to do some well, we're dark. We're not doing magic. a great job then. <laughs> no, no, but it'll, it'll work for the World Cup. We're injured now for the players. They're going to feel better closer to the World Cup. That's all we need right now. We don't need me and Pete to be running during the World Cup. We need the players to be running. Yes. So hopefully good vibes for all of the players. So, Tech, we have a ton to talk about today, but before we get into it, we, I'll just give a quick preview. We're going to talk about the goalkeeping situation for the U.S. We're going to talk about uh, Greg Berhalter's latest podcast that he did with Bobby Warshaw. and had some interesting things to say. Uh, we're going to talk about both the CONCACAF and the UEFA Champions League and maybe one or two other things. So, are you ready to dive in? Yeah, I'm ready. Great. First, we have a review to read uh from let's see today we have <laughs> this might be appropriate the review is called better than wall don't listen to grant wall listen to tack and pete some of the best soccer discussions in the u.s thank you very much that was posted by kylo four so thank you um i don't think we're trying to be better or worse than anybody we're just here to give our honest thoughts and opinions and we are grateful and psyched that you guys love it yeah, and it, it does fit what we're going to talk about. <laughs> we'll get to that. But first, we both watched the Manchester City-Liverpool game this morning. Uh, we're recording this one on Saturday, guys, because I have to. Um, we're not available Monday, Tuesday. And we saw Stefan's terrible mistake that led to a goal. Um, initial thoughts, Tack? Um, well, one, my first thought was, I believe he cost also a semifinals. Was it last season or was it? It was last season, yeah, on yeah, the FA, FA Cup. Cup on the FA Cup also. So it's the second time Stefan does that. And a couple a couple things you need to raise a question here is, is it due to match sharpness or is maybe Zach Stefan just not that good of his feet, right? Because you look at the play again, he didn't really get to under pressure until he took a kind of like a bad touch. And then he took a while to make a decision. It could be also due to match sharpness, but it, it does get me worried about the goalkeeping situation with the U S men's national team. And I even said this today earlier on Twitter. It's I'm more worried about the goalkeeping situation right now than the center forward situation. Yes. 
um, because one uh, center forward, you can kind of win games with a center forward that's not really scoring. Yeah. You can find other ways to score. Goalkeeper, you only have one, and and yeah. he's the only one that can use his hands. And in the World Cup, there will be games like England. We're gonna have to defend for our lives, and you need yeah. a very good, sharp goalkeeper. The center forward might not even be relevant in that game. Yeah. So, and, and and then even other games, Iran. We know they have two center forwards that are very high quality. We could face a Wales that will have Bale, and he's gonna knock some in the goal. There are free kicks, and if your goalkeeper is shaky. Um, with his feet and defending, okay? Because Zach Steffen, it wasn't only with his feet. Uh, the the first goal, maybe he could have done better, but it was close range, low reaction. The third goal from Sadio Mane, the shot was kind of far enough that he probably should have been able to react, especially because it was on his side of the goal. And I thought he did a bad job, bad job. So he didn't look good on shot stopping. And with his feet, he gave Sadio Mane a goal. Yeah, yeah. Hand it to him on platter. Here's the thing with Zach Steffen. Like, these incidents... Aren't, this, this didn't happen in a bubble, right? This is not an isolated incident. He's been poor for some time, you know, with his shot stopping. We've seen it for the U.S. We've seen it for Manchester City. He hasn't been uh, as good as he used to be. Now, the question is, why? Is it a crisis of confidence? Is it a lack of match sharpness due to not enough playing time? Is it that he himself is just going through some mental confidence struggles right now? I don't know. But the last, you know, what is it, two years now at Manchester City don't have me very optimistic for him continuing to stay there. You know, I think at Manchester City, you have to play a certain way. And maybe that doesn't suit the way he can play. And maybe for some goalkeepers, they need to be able to play more instinctively instead of, you know, trying to follow a very specific pattern of how we're supposed to play. And I don't know exactly what the problem is with Zach, but I know he can be a lot better than this. We've seen that in the past. Um, I think it will be important for him to leave Manchester City this summer, at least on loan. You know, I don't think anyone's going to buy him. He still he just re-signed a long-term contract with them. So I think he needs to go somewhere on loan so that he's playing regular games going into Qatar, and then we can better evaluate how much of what's going on right now is just form and confidence and how much is a genuine lack of talent, which personally, I believe it's more the former than the latter. It it can be many things, right? We've seen him do better than this in the past, so we have to assume that he is better than this. There's also that injury he had in Germany. We don't know how much that impacted him. He's been having well, a lot and of back, continuing injuries. He keeps having injuries. Back problems. Back yeah, problems. so yeah. as a goalkeeper, sometimes you can can be a little stiff, and that won't help your reaction and agility. So we need to see we, he needs to go somewhere that he'll play regularly and see him with his confidence up. But at this moment, the United States has a goalkeeping problem in the short term. And yeah. that is worrisome because the World Cup is half a year away. Yeah. So it's very worrisome. Um, Ethan Horvath is back on the bench for nothing in force. And it doesn't look like he's going to get that starting job unless Samba gets another red card or gets injured. Yeah. So probably won't play the season anymore. Uh, Matt Turner has been in poor form or injured since the MLS playoffs in 2021, which he also didn't perform well in that playoff game, didn't no. perform well for the United States in January. And then he got injured and he hasn't been playing. And he's going to go to Arsenal in a couple months during the summer. And he will be the backup of Ramsdale. Yeah, that, that, That's going to happen. So I, I don't know. And then many were asking for Gaga Slonina, still very raw, 17, 18-year-old, yeah. um, and, and it, it's not really an excuse in terms of experience. We actually, yeah. at least me, and I, I think Peter agree, we actually still think as a player, technical aspects, decision-making from his game are still not good enough, right? Yeah. I, I don't know, Pete. I think ideally right now what we need is for Zach Steffen and Ethan Horvath to find a place to start. And yeah. whoever's in better form of those two will probably yeah. be the start. And the Matt Turner crowd needs to also tone it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, seriously, because they, 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 today they took advantage of the fact that Stefan struggled. And sure, we all saw what Stefan did, and we pointed out, as we're pointing out here, but Turner's not better than that with his feet. He's equally as bad. Yeah. Matt Turner has not been in good form for months or injured, yeah. right? Matt Turner also hid the frostbite, which that kind of bothered me a little bit, right? He tried <laughs> to play along with the narrative, but that's a different story. So, and Matt Turner's going to be benched very soon. So, yeah. Matt Turner's not the solution. He's not going to be in the short term and probably not going to be for the long term. It's that, that Those are my thoughts on it. I don't know how this situation is going to develop. 
But yes, if you're a U.S. men's national team fan, you should be worried about the goalkeeping position, which is something I thought we wouldn't have that problem. Because when we had yeah. bad teams, we didn't have that yeah. problem. No, when the days of like Tim Howard, Casey Keller, Brad, uh, Brad Friedel, even Tony Miola, we had top-notch keepers, you know, all the way through the depth. And we don't have that anymore. We have better outfielders now, but the goalkeeper situation is very suspect. Um, I agree with you. I think both of them need loans, even if it's a, a loan to MLS, you know, that get playing regularly. Goalkeeping is not like any other position. Like, I'm not a fan of our guys going to sit on the bench somewhere. I'd rather they play in MLS. Even with Gaga Slonina, like all these transfer talks of like, by the end of this season, he could be gone. I'd almost rather he stay because he's not going to play anywhere. I can't imagine any club in a top 10 league in Europe giving him the starting job. I can't. And maybe I'm underrating him. Maybe he's just so much better than I think. And people have been comparing him today to Buffon and Donnarumma. And I'm like, let's pump the brakes. This kid has 17 professional games under his belt, which for a goalkeeper is not much data. He is still, like you said, raw and has things that he needs to work on. I think he needs to focus on being our under-20 keeper for now. And then maybe after Qatar, we start, you know, incorporating him into you know, the rotation or the lineup, depending on how he does. But we can't overreact to a few good performances. And I like Gaga. I really do. I think he's got a very high ceiling, but I think it's too early. And, you know, we've, we talk a lot about youth, right? We talk about if they're, go you know, good enough, they're old enough. With goalkeepers, it's a bit of a problem because when you're still developing, if you make a mistake, it leads to a goal. If a, if a winger makes a mistake, you can cover for it as a team. That happens. And you get another touch two minutes later to fix it. If you're 17 years old and you make a mistake in a high-profile game, that can be debilitating for your confidence, you know, when you're still developing. So I just want to encourage people to pump the brakes on Gaga Slonina for now. I like the kid, but I don't think he's ready for senior team duty yet. Also, remember, goalkeepers, it's a different position in terms of age also. You see young players coming at age 18, 19, already blowing up like Mbappe just in the World yeah. Cup. Um, but but in the other hand, a player like Mbappe, his decline starts around age 32, 33. Yeah. And by 35, it's close to the end of the career, unless you're someone like Luka Modric, Messi or Ronaldo. Um, even Ronaldo declined, to be honest. So yes. they all declined much earlier. Goalkeepers like Neuer, you can see them at ages 36, 37, 38 and still be a world-class level. And it's not that crazy, right? So goalkeepers usually, they start their peak around age 25. That's when they start to become mature. And they can go on sometimes to 38, 39, playing at a high level. Gaga Sonina will be 25 in 2030. Right. So yeah. there's a lot of time for this kid. We're not questioning his potential. His potential is extremely high. Probably the highest we have in goalkeepers. It's just that, again, he's not the solution in the short term. He might be the solution for the long term, not the short term. Yeah, yeah, that's how I see it too. And again, you can completely destroy a player's trajectory by you know, putting them in too early. And again, because it's a goalkeeper, every mistake is a goal. You know what I mean? It's not like and, – and that's worrying to me. So I like Gaga, but let's pump the brakes. How do you feel about Sean Johnson? What are your thoughts? Um, I don't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have you seen him much this season for New York? Uh, in the Conca Champions, right? So I saw yeah. him in the playoffs last season for New York that I followed, and and he actually caught good form during the playoffs and was very yeah. important for New York. But he looked shaky a few times in the Concacaf Champions League this season, and and like he did for most of his career, right? Right. Yeah, he was um, always very error prone playing for Chicago. I am okay with him being the third option in the goal, the World Cup. Right. I'm but you okay don't want with him starting. No, I wouldn't want that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know about you. I don't I don't I don't think I want him either. I like that he's playing regularly. Um I still believe in Ethan Horvath. I think that if Horvath can get um maybe to a, a club where he's playing regularly, and we saw this, right? He played against Liverpool, you know, in the FA Cup. He played in those seven games, despite being on the bench for, you know, most of the season, he came in, he wasn't perfect, right? He had that one mistake. I think it was against Darby. I don't remember, but overall, I thought he was pretty good. Made the saves. Uh, he was good with his feet. I think he's a bit of a mix of both Matt Turner and Zach Steffen in some ways because he's maybe a better shot stopper than Zach Steffen and definitely better with his feet than Matt Turner. Probably so, better than both at this point. Yeah, 
No, I, I agree. And I think if he can get a regular run at a club, even if that's an MLS team that needs a goalkeeper, I think he'll start to show his quality. And, and I think he could take that number one job for Qatar. But let's see what happens. There was rumors about him going to New England at the end of the season. But as I understand it, New England just went and got another keeper for the summer. Yeah, I, I saw that report too. So so it doesn't sound like he's going to New England, which is disappointing. Um I would love to see him in Atlanta, but I think it's not going to happen. Brad Guzan apparently has such a high salary. They're not going to spend more money on a on a, a different keeper. But I think it would be good for Atlanta because they definitely need a new keeper. How much are they paying Brad Guzan? I actually don't know. Do you want me to look it up? That's <laughs> kind of that's actually kind of crazy because he's been costing Atlanta some goal. I wouldn't say points because they also haven't been doing well themselves in the games, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's been, think, and it's been like that for quite some time now, you know? Yeah. But so, we don't have to talk about the Atlanta United um, goalkeeping issue. We're worried about the United States. Yeah. Atlanta has to figure out their own, but Pete, for the goalkeeping situation, I just tell you real quick, Brad yeah. Gazan's making 800,000 a year. Oh boy. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. But Pete, Shall we move on to one of the hot topics here? Yeah, let's do it. But before we do that, can I run our sponsor real quick? Do it. And thank you very much, DraftKings, for sponsoring this podcast. And they are doing an NBA playoffs, not giveaway, but promotion. Download the DraftKings app and use the code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first playoff rounds, and you get $150 in free bets instantly so once again download the DraftKings sports betting app use the code tb b as in ball p n thank you very much DraftKings, for sponsoring this stream and pete we should probably start a, a basketball podcast too how much do you know about basketball very little so let's not do it let's not do it because i know also very little that we're gonna know that thank you very much DraftKings. I know the Lakers are really mad at their team right now. I mean, the Lakers fans. That's about it. That's the extent of my basketball. And I think I'm it was Greg fan. who told me that. <laughs> Speaking of Greg, and yes, thank you, DraftKings. He did a, you know, after every window, he does a podcast with Bobby Warshaw. I always listen to them because I try to figure out what he says, what tactics he's talking about. Uh, he isn't always super transparent in all of them, um, sometimes more than others. But he was very compelling in this latest one. I listened to it. I enjoyed a lot of what he said. Uh, where do we start? Um, I actually listened to it too. I did even a stream on it. But it, I mean, I think the first thing we can talk about is we can talk about the funny part, which was the Grant Wall one. But I think the best part of the interview was when Bobby Warshaw asked Greg Berhalter uh, if he could redo something, like pretty much admit to a mistake. Yeah. To which, even though he didn't say it at the time, he kept like saying how he got everything right against Panama. Remember, we got unlucky or whatever. I can't remember the exact words he said. He said in the, the podcast that he would redo that and he got the lineup wrong. And he said, yeah. I don't blame any of the players, but I got the lineup wrong. So to me, listening to that was actually very good. Because if you go back to the Panama game in October, one of the reasons we were furious was one, the lineup, obviously. And two was after the game, he wasn't admitting that he made a mistake. He kept um, like he kept like saying that he was right, essentially, right? And it was just what did he say that the game was just out of the norm or something. I don't remember the exact words, but nonetheless to say, if he if he had just admitted the mistake at the time, we probably wouldn't have continued to complain about it throughout the entire campaign. Because yeah. we probably would have just said, well. He kind of admitted already he made a mistake. So why am I complaining about this still? I mean, I right. hope he finds ways to improve. But if he had already admitted that months ago in October, it wouldn't have been a game we would have constantly mentioned because he already admitted he messed up and he's working to improve that, we would hope. And, and some things he did, like Legette never played again. That's, that's yeah. But but that was the first thing that I really liked of that podcast um, that caught my attention the most. Yeah. I think being able to admit mistakes, and again, like you said, that's when we started to see change. Legette has not played a single minute since that Panama game. He wasn't even in the last roster. Rodan's minutes have dropped significantly after that game, even though before that he was not starting, but he was like coming off the bench as almost one of the first subs. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he has only played in one game since then, and that was the Honduras game in Minnesota. 
for the last 10, 15 minutes. But yeah, so that's, well, he did also play in Bosnia, but that's a friendly. So yeah, seeing him being able to learn from his mistakes and admit to them is really good to see, you know, um, those weren't his only mistakes over the course of qualifying, but it's a positive when you can admit I did something wrong, you know? Yeah. To his defense there, Bobby Warsh asked for one. I think yeah. Bobby Warsh should have probably gone, Greg, give us three. <laughs> and then, yeah. What are your top 12? <laughs> Greg, can you – so there was a total of 14, 14 games, right, that we played? 14 yeah. games. And can you give us um, 14 mistakes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't have been far off. But but it's good to see. Um, and, and overall, I thought in that podcast he was quite transparent with his answers and even if I didn't agree with everything, I thought that he was well-articulated answers and well-reasoned answers, you know, which mm -hmm. that's what you want to see from your coach, right? Um, the only answer I had a problem was, again, the Shaq Moore, Joe Scally. That was yeah, probably the main one. That. Yeah, that was the only one. But to be fair, it was the same BS answer he gave at the time, too. Right, yeah. as the whole he knows the system, he knows the opponent, he, he has experience well, and all he that. He also told Bobby that Shaq Moore was playing regularly in Spain when he called him up, which he wasn't. He'd mm -hmm. been like 10 games on the bench and then played the last two. So it was just kind of a weird like thing to go by because Jonathan Gomez in the same league was playing more than him at the time of the call-up. Yeah. So it was it was an answer I disagreed with, and you know, that that is what it is, right? But at least with Greg, he was being quite frank, you know? And the thing I most enjoyed from that podcast was when Bobby asked him about Grant Wall's article, basically attacking the fan base as toxic. What were your thoughts on Greg's response? I, I thought Greg's response pretty much just told everyone to throw out Grant Wall's article. It's like this <laughs> article, this article is, is useless because this is the way I saw it. We can all agree, like or Greg, like Greg or not, he is the most criticized man in U.S. soccer. He is. like he, Most of the criticism is directed towards him more than any players because he's a focal point. Yeah. And because of a lot of the things he's done as well. Yeah. So if the most criticized or the most, the biggest target of this toxic fan base doesn't agree that it's toxic, and he says that's part of a growing sport. He mentioned the Lakers as an example. He mentioned Barcelona. That's part of the sport growing. If he doesn't back your article, if, if anything, he pushes back on your article about yeah. fans being toxic, I think Grant Wall needs to grow up and shut up. And, and <laughs> Grant, Wall even, Grant Wall even wrote an article, I think, today Responding or yesterday. Responding to Greg. Responding you can, to Greg. You can read it for free for seven days and then you have to pay. <laughs> yeah, it, it was also hilarious that at first Grant Wall makes an article that he wants to change U.S. soccer for the best. That's what he was claiming, right? We're toxic, but you got to pay to read it. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you want to change it for the best, dude, for at least do it for free. Or at least well, especially people... since you're hired by CBS. Well, I think he's not working there anymore. Oh, is he not? He was I... for a bit. Yeah, I can't confirm that, but I've never seen him on TV again. I've never seen him mention them again. I think he's only doing his little podcast there, or whatever he's doing. Yeah. But uh, with that said, the 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 man that could complain about the criticism being toxic i still wouldn't agree with greg but yeah. he was the man that he was like the one that could not disagree with grant if he disagrees with grant that article is garbage yeah and he literally pushed back on it <laughs> it, it was now, it was a wonderful yeah. day. he had a comment in particular that i enjoyed and he said remember everybody who's commenting whatever they're saying they're commenting because they care and that's 100% spot on from Greg. I wanted to give him a standing ovation. I was like, that's exactly it. If somebody is taking time to criticize the team or you or what the federation, whatever, it's because they give a shit. You know, the opposite of like negativity is not positivity. It's it's uh, indifference. You know what no, I mean? The opposite, of, the opposite of caring is not hating. It's ignoring. Like right. not caring, not Thank caring. You. That's a better way to yeah. put it. Yeah, it's indifference, right? It's not caring. And Greg recognized that. And, and he brought up two examples, one from American sports culture, the LA Lakers, and one from soccer culture around the world. Look at what's happening at Barcelona. He said, this is part of the growth of the game. Greg, whether or not he actually thinks this or it was just like he had to say it, 
it doesn't matter to me that much because he said it. And he said, look, as the game grows, you're going to get more of all kinds of comments, some positive, some negative. And Grant really just focused on the negative instead of the overall growth of the game. And that was good to see from Greg. Um, yeah. And again, adding to that, the good thing is that it came straight out of the horse's mouth. Yes. Right. It's yes. like because me and you saying it, we're the ones us and many of the listeners and fans that are being called toxic. Once we complain about we're not toxic or all that, they're just going to say, well, of course, you're going to say you're not. Yeah, because I'm accusing you. But when it comes out from the man, that's the most criticized of them all. It, it was just kind of like grow up, Grant. That's what yeah. it, and it's not and just to be fair here. It's not just Grant Wall. Right, the athletic no. does that a lot. So, well, they um, they also sponsored the second, the next article about you know how you should join cooking TikTok if you're if you don't yeah. like this team. Yeah. <laughs> so again, they Bobby Warshaw asked specifically about Grant's um, article, right. but it's not just Grant Wall. Okay, yeah. it's um, the athletic has done it more than once, a few times. Yeah, the athletic. I don't know the names of the writers because it's just such a insignificant platform at this point. Um, the athletic people just don't care. You look at the athletic soccer, the Twitter account they have, and no one engages with it unless they write an article about fans being toxic. So at yeah. this point, um, it's just look, once Greg did that, all we have to do is just show guys, just stop with the toxic argument. The coach already talked about it, doesn't agree yeah. with y'all. But he didn't just talk about that. He had an interesting comment about how he approached the last window. And they talked mm -hmm. about, you know, Bobby asked him, were you really planning to rotate in that Mexico game? And then Greg basically said, I watched your old buddies at MLS soccer. Because remember when Matt Doyle said that we should rest everybody from Mexico because only Panama and Costa Rica didn't, didn't Matt Doyle say Mexico? He did, And if I'm wrong, I apologize to Matt Doyle if I'm wrong about this. But didn't he say the Mexico was a throwaway game? Essentially, I don't know if he used those exact words, but I think he, he might have. I can go double check. But he essentially said, you can't do math. He, he accused USMNT fans of not being able to do math because they wanted us to play a strong lineup against Mexico. And Greg said it was like a funeral watching them talk. He literally used the word funeral. These guys were just like, oh, it's just, you know, you can't even focus on Mexico. It's not, it's impossible. You just have to go you know, focus on Panama and Costa Rica. And Greg put out a strong lineup for Mexico and thank God he did and got that point. Otherwise we might be looking at a playoff right now. No, not might. We would have been looking at we a would've. playoff right now. So to be fair, I didn't want that rest, point. To be fair, I did want to rest Tyler in that game. That was I, I did just wanted, too, yeah. Yeah. I did want I, I I didn't have the Matt Doyle lineup. I wanted pretty much every player besides Tyler because he was on the yellow. But yeah, Matt Doyle put a complete B squad. I remember that and and a few other guys did too. I just remember his more because he had that tweet about asking if USMNT fans knew how to do math, basic math. And yeah, apparently they did. Apparently the they did. Apparently they apparently did. Apparently they did. Maybe maybe Matt should take some math courses. <laughs> yeah. No, but it was good to hear Greg push that, push back on that and essentially say, well, I did it my way. And although it wasn't the best window, we did still qualify, right? Wasn't and it the worst window? It was the worst window. In terms of points per game, it was the worst window. We had. It was the toughest one, too, though, to be fair. It was, it was... the toughest one, yes. Yeah. Uh, overall, look, I want to give Greg Berhalter the benefit of the doubt as we go towards the World Cup because ultimately he will be judged on how this team does during a World Cup. If they do well, okay, then your qualifying matters a little bit less, right? If they do poorly, then you have a poor qualifying campaign and a poor World Cup, then, then we can talk about it. But it's a struggle, man, because we're both fans of the team, but we're also analysts. And as an analyst, you have to be objective, right? And and think critically about things. And as a fan, sometimes you just want to be really positive and like, yay, go USA. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. tough to find that balance sometimes. Well, I think right now, here here's the fact of the matter. There's not much to analyze up to the World Cup now, if we're right. being completely honest, because we're going to play friendlies and friendlies are just different, right? Nothing that we're... So the only thing that matches the intensity of a World Cup is a World Cup qualifying, right? Or not even a Gold Cup. Maybe if you go to the Euros, the Copa America, those will have a very high intensity. Yeah. But besides that, so the intensity of a World Cup is done. Anything we do now, we could look good and we could say we're doing good, but it doesn't mean it will translate to the World Cup. Or we can do very bad and we might yeah. be preparing perfectly for the World Cup. So he's going to be judged once again, essentially, 
at the World Cup. And obviously, roster selections here and there, who he gives opportunities, what he tries. But the judgment will really only start at the World Cup. Until then, yeah, I mean, let's try to stay as positive as possible and believe that as he admitted some mistakes that he's very aware of many of them and will address them. Um, but, but, but again, the intensity and everything won't be back until the world cup is here. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see how he does. We'll obviously pick through nations league. I've got a nations league roster video coming out on Monday, which is out already. Uh, if you guys haven't checked that out, uh, that'll be very important. Not so much the nations league, but the two games leading up to the nations league. Because how do we look again? If we're playing Uruguay, for example, how does our defenders look against Valverde and Suarez and Darwin? You know, these top, top level attackers. It's going to be a good test. Even though the stakes are lower, it's still high quality opponents. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. we're doing that. I hope we face another quality team. Probably not from Europe. My guess is it's going to be like Ghana. There was a rumor about them uh, playing games. Maybe that will be in September. But if not, at least another South American team then Argentina or Colombia or something. Yeah, we'll see. And just to make it clear, guys, the reason we're not talking about these friendlies yet is because none of them were confirmed. Yeah. So we don't want to speculate here and just waste your time talking about friendlies that won't happen. But yeah, once the friendlies are confirmed of Ghana, Uruguay, whoever else it is, we'll dive into the teams. And um, Ghana, personally, I don't know them very much. But if it's South American nations, we got you covered here, European nations, too. So we'll make sure to keep everyone updated on that. Yeah, for sure. Um. Should we then go into the next topic? The Champions League. Which one of them, though? Well, we have both to cover. We've got UEFA and we have got uh, CONCACAF. What do you want to start with? I'll let you pick. I know you were busy, busy, busy during the week, but I wasn't busy, 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 so I can talk about them. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited that... I'll start with CCL. I'm excited that Seattle has made a CCL final. And... We now have made three CCL. MLS has made three CCL finals in the last five years. Haven't won it yet. Could this be the year? Yes. Um, I'll give you a couple of reasons why. All right. I, I've, I did a watch long for that. I was watching this CCL closely. And this Puma side, to me, it's the weakest Liga Mekis team that has made it that I've seen. Like yeah. that I've actually followed. This is the weakest one. And I know some people pointed out to the Chivas-Toronto final a couple years back saying the Chivas team was worse. I disagree. This Pumas yeah. team is not strong. We saw that against New England. I know they got the 3-0 win in the second game, but it was just ridiculous the way New England approached that game and Bruce Arena specifically, the things yeah. he said before the game and on PKs, legit speak. So this is not a good team, this Pumas team. There's better teams in Mexico. They're not yeah. sending their best. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, I know the Sounders are not doing that well in MLS to start the season, partially because they did focus on the CCL. But I do think on should. paper, yeah, I think the Sounders, in my opinion, on paper and as a franchise, they're the best team in MLS. So we're sending our best right now. Look at yeah. that midfield they have. Ruznak, João Paulo, Lodeiro, Jordan Morris, Rodon, that's also good there in MLS. Rui yeah. Diaz up top, strong defense, good goalkeeper. The Sounders are legit contenders, and they play the second game at home. That'll be huge. So we will cover both of those games. Maybe we can do one at my channel, Mm -hmm. one at yours. But this is a big moment for MLS, right? If they don't win that final, it's just like, oh, here we go again. But I think they have every chance of winning it, and we will be rooting for Seattle, right? Yes, and I'll I'll tell you guys one thing, too. Um, In my opinion... Pumas are the underdogs, regardless of the past history of MLS and Liga Mekis. Yeah. Uh, this is not that strong of a team. Now, is are the Sounders just going to walk over them? Absolutely not. It's it, it, To win this, they're going to have to grind this out. It's going to be very tough. But I'm just saying that Mexico has sent clubs in the past that they were actually better than our teams, and we were going to have to find a way to win, right? Yeah. Uh, this time, I think it's more about Pumas having to find a way to win, right? As long as Seattle can hold a draw in Mexico or lose by one goal, keep it very close and bring it to Seattle, um, the the odds are very high. Just can't get wrecked in Mexico. That's what they can't let happen. Don't lose 2-3-0. Then if it's not that, we got this. Do you have the dates for those games? Yeah, so I don't have the exact dates, but it's not this week that people are watching this, the Conca Champions. It's um, the following week. So I'll give you, it's on Tuesday night. So I'll give you the exact days. It's going to be actually Wednesday 
April 27th at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, so 7.30 p.m. Pacific time, and that game will be in Mexico. Now, May 4th, so may the 4th be with you, Star Wars Day, Seattle Sounders will face Pumas at the last game at Seattle, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah. This is going to be really exciting. I'm glad we went back to a two-match playoff because when LAFC did it, it was just a one-off. They lost Mm -hmm. to Tigres, I believe it was, 1-0. And uh, that was disheartening because I thought LAFC had a real chance there. Um, but th- this shows MLS's progress. Even if Seattle doesn't win, okay, three finals in five years, I don't think we've done that before. So that shows that we're getting better. We still have a long way to go. But the main benefit of Seattle winning this would be, you know, regional bragging rights, for one. You always want to beat the Mexican teams. Mm-hmm. But also the chance to participate in a Club World Cup and to present MLS on a global stage and for the players, for the coaching staff, for the fans to be involved in a tournament like that right after the World Cup because the, CCA, uh, the Club World Cup is in January. So right after the World Cup, you'll get a chance to sort of showcase another side of American soccer, our domestic league. Now, our MLS has a lot of issues um, that we think – it needs to fix in order to really continue to grow and take that next step. But we're going to discuss that in a separate pod because it's a whole topic on its own. Um, Let's go Seattle. I really believe that this could be the year they've got the depth. They've got quality all over the field and kudos to um, their Garth Lagerway, their general manager who went from RSL, right? Went to Seattle and has done a really good job of piecing that roster together. It's got balance all over the field. It's not just, you know, Lodero and Rui Diaz putting them on their shoulders and carrying them. They've got balance and they've got quality all over the place. And I think that's what's contributed to them being successful and more MLS teams need to take that approach, you know? Yeah. Now, all right. So UEFA. The weaker. Con- okay. Let's stop <laughs> with that joke. Um, UEFA. So you weren't able to watch the games this week, right? These ones you were a little out. I watched the Chelsea one on replay. Replay. Uh, yeah. So, I the games I watched this week were Chelsea Real Madrid, Atletico and Manchester City. But obviously, I've covered Bayern and Villarreal and Liverpool and Benfica on the Unsackable podcast, so I'm pretty aware of everything that happened. So Bayern and Villarreal. Let's start with that one. First game, one zero Villarreal in Spain. Second game, we got this wrong. Somehow Bayern yeah. bottled this. Villarreal in two games, Pete. They had two shots on target. They scored two goals. Wow! Wow! And their fruit and Umnai Emery has done it again. This guy was the coach of Sevilla when they won three Europa Leagues in a row. Yeah. And then he won Villa with then he went to PSG, I believe. And I mean, didn't win Champions League there because no one can win Champions League. Thomas Tuchel couldn't do it. No one can do no. it. Uh, and then he goes to Villarreal. Well, first he goes to Arsenal. Arsenal, which technically they say he failed. He finished fifth in the Premier League, which to Arsenal doesn't That's look like a fail. Good. Yeah, it doesn't look like a failure to me. I don't know about more stuff. But but anyhow, leaves Arsenal because Arsenal, no matter how crappy they are, they think they should win the Premier League. And yeah. then he went to Villarreal, and he won last season Europa League, beating Manchester United in the final. And this season in the Champions League, Umnay Emery and Villarreal found a way to knock out Juventus, found a way to knock out Bayern, which are title contenders. Yeah. And they're off to the semifinals, where they're going to face the other team we're going to talk about here, which is Liverpool. Liverpool, on aggregate, defeated Benfica, I believe, six to three. Uh, yeah. I need a double it was a check. Solid crashing. Yeah, six four, six four, and also Benfica scored goals late in the last game. I think Liverpool just kind of didn't care anymore. Liverpool rotated also against Benfica. Salah and Mane were off the bench, so yeah. they were rotating for the game today that we talked about earlier of Zach Steffen. So Liverpool and Villarreal now. I don't know about you, Pete, but I'm going to say the same thing I said about Bayern, and I hope I'm. I don't know if I'll be wrong. I don't see Liverpool getting knocked out by Villarreal. No, no, I don't either. (laughs) We're going to be eating a lot of crow if they do. (laughs) Yeah, I also think um, Liverpool this season has more depth than Bayern, right? Bayern, you look at their bench, it doesn't have as many options. Like Liverpool literally rotated off um, Mo Salah and Sadio Mane, and they still have Luis Diaz, Diogo Jota, um, Roberto Firmino, it's just so much depth in this team in the midfield too. There's too much. And Klopp also is much more experienced than Julian Nagelsmann at this stage. He has made it before. 
I don't see Liverpool bottling this. It's going to be tough because yeah. Villarreal is just horrible to face in knockout rounds with Henry in charge. But I don't see Liverpool not going through. Yeah, same, same. Now, the other ones, Pete, that happened was Real Madrid and Chelsea. Do you yeah. want to talk about that one first? I mean, I want to talk about it in the context of Christian Pulisic. You mm-hmm. know, I think there was a major overreaction to him missing those two chances, right? He didn't miss Could... one, by the way. Sorry? One of them he didn't miss. Well, he I mean, was... not scoring yeah. them. Yeah. Um, like, people forget that he scored two goals against Lille, one in the first leg, one in the second leg, to get them here. He was crucial against Real Madrid in the last, you know, edition of the Champions League. But two or three bad games, and people want to crucify him. Both Chelsea fans and even some of our own U.S. fans. It's like, guys, not every player performs to a top level at every game. Could he have done better in moments, even away from those goals? Sure, absolutely. Is that an overall indication of his quality and who he is not in my opinion i think we like to overreact to both his good games and his bad games i think that (laughs) anyone saying he's trash now he should go play somewhere else and maybe he should you know get a move i don't know um but i just think there was a little bit of overreaction there to pulisic's performance from both chelsea and american fans yeah do we are we gonna forget that mendy gave karim benzema a goal in the first leg literally gave him yeah. Are we going to forget Conte in the second leg too, giving away goals? Are we yeah. going to forget Kai Havertz missing a wide-open header? We're going to yeah. miss also Jorginho's poor shot. Who? Lukaku in the first leg missing that wide-open header. Yeah, it's just that they they, they pick their scapegoat. And, um, and again, I, I'm totally fine with criticism from Pulisic because I don't think he played well any of those two games. No. And that should be said. Yeah. But he is most certainly not the reason they didn't go through. He no. he has he has a percentage of blame for blame, sure. sure. Like He's all a the contributor players. to the failure. Yeah, it, like it's just many that, of them were. It's just that um, Chelsea fans, a lot of the, and some USMNT fans reacted that way too, apparently. And Chelsea fans, just the way they act, like them talking about Mason Mount being a world class player, where in the game you could see an ancient Modric at age 36, 37, showing what a world class player actually is. Yeah, that wow. that's that's what he actually showed. But one thing I want to talk about in this game more specifically that I found quite fascinating because I have Real Madrid winning the Champions League and they're they're still going through, right? right? A lot of the people in the Unsackable podcast that I'm at they they called me crazy on not crazy they just don't agree with me in Real Madrid. But I, I remember here I kept saying I think Real Madrid are going to win this. They're yeah. going to go through. And there's one thing that I learned from World Cup qualifying and and that's. Before I talk about this in Real Madrid, let's quickly go through Atletico and Manchester City because then we'll talk about the matchup of Real Madrid and Manchester City, which is a very fascinating matchup, actually. Atletico went home now to Madrid, and the first half was kind of eh, didn't do much. But in the second half, Atletico suffocated Manchester City till a point where Pep Guardiola's team had a CONCACAF their way to the semifinals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did. <laughs> so so that has to be said because – and we'll, we'll, we're going to do a separate podcast for this where we're going to discuss two hypothetical scenarios that probably won't ever happen. If Pep Guardiola managed the U.S. men's national team opposed to if Diego Simeone um, managed the U.S. men's national team, we'll discuss maybe which one will be more successful and why. But it just fascinated me because people love to say that Diego Simeone just parks the bus without forgetting to mention he parks the bus when he has to. He plays yeah. soccer when he has to. He knows how to adapt. He's very flexible with yes. his back three, with his 4-4-2. Defensive yep. shape is fantastic. But, but guys, what did we expect here? Manchester City is way better. Such a better team. Did you want them to just go play one beat one with Pep Guardiola. Just see it this way. If the United States faces France in the World Cup, are you just going to play exposed, trying to go up to them, play possession? That's not what you're going to do. I would hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> yeah, that's my whole point. You need to approach the game different. And, and Simeone is able to recognize when a team is far better than him. It's like, okay, this is what I'm going to have to do to try to win this. Yeah, I can't outplay these players that Pep Guardiola spent $1 billion. Yeah. So 
I thought it was a great leg from Atletico Madrid, great game from Diego Simeone, got the team fired up, almost knocked out Manchester City, held them to one goal, suffocated them at the end of the game, had opportunities to score at the second half, but they didn't go through, and Manchester City went through. And then this matchup, Pete, Real Madrid and Manchester City. Who's going through? I mean, I'm going to agree with you, Real Madrid. But before we get to that, I want to just say that it's interesting you bring up the flexibility and adaptability of Atletico because Real Madrid did something similar to Chelsea in the, you know, first leg in Chelsea. They didn't, like, this is a team full of world-class players, right? But they weren't afraid to bunker when they had to for certain states of the game, right? I mean, you saw in the last half an hour of that Chelsea game when they were 3-1 up, they essentially went to a 6-3-1 formation where the fullbacks tucked inside like extra fullbacks and you had Vini Jr. and Valverde back almost defending the whole like whole half an hour as fullbacks. Modric sitting in midfield with Cruz and with Casemiro playing like a like a tough tackling midfielder. You know, <laughs> most teams would say you can't make Modric do that. And then you have Benzema as an outlet. Now, what an outlet to have. He can hold up the ball. He can combine, get in behind. But they weren't afraid to play the best strategy for the opponent and for the game state. And that's really important. If you look at successful managers at the top level, they manage to adapt. They manage to be flexible. And if Real Madrid can do that with all of their Galacticos, right, all these superstars who play top, top countries in the world, if they can be that flexible and adaptable, and it was just the way they, they hit them on the counter for a couple of their goals, the way they took advantage of space, they're very good at reading and feeling the game and adapting to it. And it's really impressive to watch. So that is why I have Real Madrid also beating Manchester City. I'm not convinced they beat Liverpool. I'll have to see after these games. Let's say Liverpool wins. and It was a Liverpool-Real Madrid final. Then I'd have to watch these semifinals again and just sort of give another opinion. But wow, it's it's amazing to watch these teams, star-studded teams, playing really good, non-rigid, flexible, adaptable soccer. And I think that's what makes some of these managers so successful. Yeah, and but but you also think Real Madrid will go through against City? I do, I do, yeah. I think that Pep is an ideologue. I think he's going to continue to try to... He's the one guy I don't think is that flexible. I think mm. he his teams pretty much always play the same way. This is how you must play. It's his philosophy. And it's beautiful when it works, right? And... For long, you know, Premier League style campaigns, it can be very successful. But in terms of like consistent knockout rounds, I just think there are ways to beat it. And I think Real Madrid will find ways. You kind of made my point there. That was one of the points I was going to make towards why uh, there's coaches or managers that are better for league runs, right? Yeah. Which you want stability of how you play, play the same way. Cups, um, the managers that can adapt, change, play different styles usually do better, right? In yes. cups, uh, like yeah. we mentioned, Diego Simeone. I think he outcoached Pep Guardiola. Yeah. Uh, and Carlo Ancelotti has been very successful in the Champions League in, in numerous occasions. And you talked about him adapting against Chelsea. He can change. And one thing Man Real Madrid has that Manchester City doesn't have right now Manchester City has diversity of goal scoring, right? Many players have to score. It's a team effort. Now, Real Madrid is a fantastic team, world-class players, but they have two guys that are red hot this season that can put the ball in the back of the net. And we saw this in World Cup qualifying with Canada. Some yeah. teams that would have been better teams, but Canada had Jonathan David, Kyle Lahren. They were putting the ball in the back of the net, and that is very important. And Real Madrid right now has a guy like Karim Benzema and Vinicius that have been scoring a lot this season, especially Benzema, right? Vinicius yeah. has, I think, 17 or 18 goals. But Benzema has 37 or 38 in 38 games. And that's kind of what happened against Chelsea, right? Chelsea looked like they were even going to go through at one point. Yeah. But but then players like Modric in one play just changed the game. And wow. then and then the best center for in the world right now, Karim Benzema with Vinicius, combine and off a header, kills it off, and Chelsea's out. And that's where I fear for Manchester City. Pep Guardiola is going to be in that little tiki-taka, pass the ball around, try to do this, try to do that, um, try to very diverse goal score. And the game's going to be very balanced. Real Madrid won't need that very much. One or two or three plays, these guys just get a goal. And, and all of a sudden, if they, and Ancelotti will bunker if he has to. He will oh, yeah. Need. He will have no problem doing that. Yes. But it's not just that he'll bunker. 
they understand space so well. If you look at that, I think it was the second goal they scored against Chelsea. They were sort of, Real Madrid was passing it along their back line. This is in the first leg. And all of a sudden, the, the, the back line of Chelsea steps up to try to squeeze them. And instantly they go, okay, now we know where the space is. And within two or three passes, they've got the ball in behind. It was very quick. It was almost like hold, 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 wait. Oh, we see the weakness now. And then lightning quick attack. Not this slow, gradual buildup around the 18-yard box, but lightning quick attacks. And that ability to recognize and take advantage of that is what sets them apart. And I think that's exactly what Pep Guardiola is going to have to watch for in this game. It's also such a good midfield, right? An experienced oh midfield they have. So this is the midfield that won those three Champions League with Ronaldo, right? It's yeah. Modric, Kroos, and Casemiro. And sure, some of them aged. Toni Kroos and Modric are much older. Casemiro is still fine in terms of age. But they're, they're still, they still have it. And then the big difference this season for them maybe was when Florentino Perez built this team specifically. I remember he tried to, when he brought in Eden Hazard. He was the guy to be that inverted winger on the left flank with pace, and he wasn't. So Vinicius this season actually became what they wanted from Eden Hazard a few seasons back, and I think this was one big difference maker too because this this team is essentially the same team that lost to Chelsea last season. Yeah, But Vinicius broke out this year, and Benzema, I think that also unlocked Karim Benzema. Along yeah. with him, someone to combine and and while someone's like keeping an eye on Vinicius, Benzema's making a run. Then they got to look at Vinicius back and it open up space for both. Valverde has gotten better too. Yeah, I've been playing at the wing too wide sometimes. Little yeah. different, little different. Yeah, he mostly plays wide when Benzema's playing. So, so here but are our picks. Real then. quickly on the Real Madrid midfield, what I love about it is the balance in those three. You have Casemiro, who's very much a destroyer, right? His job is I'm going to protect that back line and win balls. You have Modric, who's a pure creator. I mean, this man is a magician. He's a maestro on the ball. And then you have Cruz, who's very like box to box. He can support, you know, Modric going forward. He can help defend with Casemiro. He reads the game really well. He understands space really well. And the three of their skill sets complement each other so, so well. I'm crying out for that in our USMNT midfield. Just add one thing too, physically too, right? Because you have Modric that's a little bit smaller, Tony Kroos a little bit bigger, and then Casemiro's very big. He's a very yeah. big player that occupies a lot of space, headers. So everything about a very well built midfield, and yes. I mean, I mean, it's been as successful as you can, right? Yeah. But Pete, so Real Madrid and Liverpool is the final we're expecting. That that happened a couple how many seasons ago? I believe three seasons ago. Um, yeah. It was also Real Madrid and Liverpool. It'll be a fun one if that happens, but only time will tell. Anything else you want to add today? Uh, no, I think that's it. All right, everyone. So we're going to close things up here. Before you leave, if you made it this far, we're going to be requesting less and less. But drop your review. We might read it next week. Until then, bye-bye and have a great week.